Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. Today we bring you three dialogues. Each of these dialogues requires a bit of background knowledge to get the most out of them. The first dialogue is the fictional story of the filming of a scene from Empire Strikes Back, where the lead actor, Mark Hamill, speaks with the director, George Lucas. The second dialogue assumes some familiarity with the original Star Trek series, particularly the character of Mr. Spock. The third dialogue will be most appreciated by people who are familiar with Christian myths, particularly the myth of the temptation of Christ. However, they are all enjoyable in their own right, even if you lack the background knowledge. First Dialogue Use the Try Harder, Luke, by Eliezer Yudkowsky Mark Hamill, by Eniash Brodsky George Lucas, by Drake Walker Okay, let's see. Still in the swamp. Me... All right, I'll give it a try. Yoda, no, try not. Do or do not, there is no try. I raise my hand, and slowly the X-Wing begins to rise out of the water. Yoda's eyes widen, but then the ship sinks down again. And... Huh. Uh, George? What is it now? So, according to the script, next I say... I can't. It's too big. Shouldn't Luke maybe give it another shot? No. Luke gives up and sits down next to Yoda. This is the hero who's going to take down the Empire? Look, it was one thing when he was a whiny teenager at the beginning, but he's in Jedi training now. Last movie, he blew up the Death Star. Luke should be showing a little backbone. No. You give up, and then Yoda lectures you for a while, and you say, You want the impossible! Can you remember that? Impossible? What did he do? Run a formal calculation to arrive at a mathematical proof? The X-Wing was already starting to rise out of the swamp. That's the feasibility demonstration right there. Luke loses it for a second and the ship sinks back. And now he says it's impossible? Not to mention that Yoda, who's got literally 800 years of seniority in the field, just told him it should be doable. And then you walk away. It's his friggin' spaceship! If he leaves it in the swamp, he's stuck on Dagobah for the rest of his miserable life! He's not just going to walk away! Look, just cut to the next scene with the words, One month later, and Luke is still raggedly standing in front of the swamp, trying to raise his ship for the thousandth time. No. Fine. We'll show a sunset and a sunrise as he stands there with his arm out, straining. And then Luke says it's impossible. Though, really, he ought to try again when he's fully rested. No. Five goddamn minutes. Five goddamn minutes before he gives up. I am not halting the story for five minutes while the X-Wing bobs in the swamp like a bathtub toy. For the love of sweet candied yams. If a pathetic loser like this could master the Force, everyone in the galaxy would be using it. People would become Jedi because it was easier than going to high school. Look, you're the actor. Let me be the storyteller. You just say your lines and try to mean them. The audience isn't going to buy it. Trust me, they will. They're going to get up and walk out of the theater. 
They're going to sit there and nod along and not notice anything out of the ordinary. Look, you don't understand human nature. People wouldn't try for five minutes before giving up if the fate of humanity were at stake. Second Dialogue The Vulcan Your Vulcan Could Sound Like If He Wasn't Made of Straw Written by Tailstake Human Captain by Eniash Brodsky Vulcan Advisor by Stephen Zuber Scene Interior Starship Bridge the spatial anomaly has interacted with the tachyon radiation in the nebula. It's interfering with our sensors. It's impossible to get a reading. There's no time. We'll have to take the ship straight through it. Captain, I advise against this course of action. I've calculated the odds against our surviving such an action at 3,745 to 1. Damn the odds! We've got to try! Wait a second. Where exactly did you get that number from? I hardly think this is the time for... No. No, fuck you, this is exactly the time. The fate of the galaxy is at stake. Trillions of lives are hanging in the balance. You just pulled four significant digits out of your ass. I want to see you show your goddamn work. Well, I used actuarial data from the past 50 years relating to known cases of ships passing through the nebulae that are interacting with spatial anomalies. There have been approximately 2 million such incidents reported, with only 542 incidents in which the ship in question survived intact. And did you at all take into account that shipbuilding technology has improved over the past 50 years, and that ours is not necessarily an average ship? Indeed I did, Captain. I weighted the cases differently based on how recent they were, and how close the ship in question was in build to our own. For example, one of the incidents with a happy ending was 47 years ago, but their ship was a model roughly five times our size. As such, I counted the incident as having 24% of the relevance of a standard case. But what of our ship's moxie? Can you take determination and drive and the human spirit into account? As a matter of fact, I can, Captain. In our three-year history together, I have observed that both you and this ship managed to beat the odds with measurable regularity. To be exact, we tend to succeed 24.5% more often than the statistics would otherwise indicate, and, in fact, that number jumps to 29.2% specifically in cases where I state the odds against our success to three significant digits or greater. I have already taken that supposedly unknowable factor into account with my calculations. And you expect me to believe that you've memorized all these case studies and performed this ridiculously complicated calculation in your head within the course of a normal conversation? Yes. With all due respect to your species, I am not human. While I freely admit that you do have greater insight into fields such as emotion, interpersonal relations, and spirituality than I do, in the fields of memory and calculation, I am capable of feats that would be quite simply impossible for you. Furthermore, if I might be perfectly frank, the entire purpose of my presence on the bridge is to provide insights such as these to help facilitate your command decisions. If you're not going to heed my advice, why am I even here? Hmm. And we're still sitting at 3,700 to 1 against. 3,745 to 1. Well, shit. Well, let's go around then. Third Dialogue, The Last Temptation of Christ, by Scott Alexander. Narration by Drake Walker. Jesus by Eniash Brodsky. Satan by Brian Jones. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert, where he was tempted by the devil. 
After various lesser trials and temptations, the devil led Jesus to the top of an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world. And they stood there together, gazing upon the vista below. Behold, said Satan, mostly to break the awkward silence, all the kingdoms of the world. They're very nice, said Jesus. Really? Satan's features, still faintly angelic, formed into a pout. Because I worked so hard corrupting them and turning them against one another, and... No, not like that. I was just trying to be polite, really. They're teeming with sin and abomination. Satan beamed. Some more awkward silence. So, is this the point where you offer me lordship over all these kingdoms, if only I bow down and worship you? Nah. Like I said, they're kind of crabby. I'm here to tempt you, not insult you. I was planning something much more interesting. He waved his hand over the panorama, and it expanded in a hard-to-describe way. The three-dimensional view became four-dimensional, and the vista became a manifold. Behold, all the kingdoms of the world, now and forever. Before you, the entire scope of history. Jesus hesitated, not really sure what the polite response would be. You can at least smile. Look, these people love you. Sure enough, it was true. Many of the kingdoms before them were Christian, building great cathedrals and writing beautiful works of theology in Jesus' name. Among the remainder, many were Muslim, revering him as one of the greatest of prophets. It's pretty encouraging. So what's the catch? Always the catch with you people. Well, if you insist, take a look particularly at the psychiatric hospitals. Jesus gazed through the manifold, where ten thousand psychiatric hospitals presented themselves simultaneously to his elevated senses. As you notice, your popularity has had some fascinating side effects. In particular, a pretty good proportion of psychotics, sometime in their illness, think that they're you. I don't think either of us wants to sit here counting them all, but could we agree on a hundred thousand as a conservative estimate? A hundred thousand psychotics who believe themselves to be Jesus Christ across the entire scope of world history. Sounds reasonable. And it's a pretty strong delusion. They dismiss the contention that they're not you with barely a second thought. Whatever their reasoning processes are, they seem to be bent in on themselves somehow, so that they always affirm the conclusion. It's very sad. I hope my Father in Heaven will have mercy upon them. That's not what we're here to talk about. What I'm really interested in is this. Given a randomly chosen person who's absolutely certain he's Jesus, what's the probability that he is, in fact, Jesus? Well, there are a hundred thousand psychotics who believe themselves to be Jesus, and only one real Jesus. So by Bayes' theorem, we calculate that believing oneself to be Jesus gives one only about a 1 in 100,000 chance that one is actually Jesus. Your reasoning is impeccable. So, what is the probability that you're actually Jesus? What? You are an individual with a certain amount of evidence that you are Jesus. Specifically, you believe yourself to be him. You have various experiences which your reason tells you are consistent with being Jesus, like memories of your mother Mary and so on. 
but these seem like the sort of thing a damaged intellect could create to support a delusion. You previously determined that a randomly selected person with a belief that he is Jesus has a 1 in 100,000 chance of being Jesus and a 99,999 out of 100,000 chance of being a psychotic. So, Mr. Person with the belief that he is Jesus, do you think those numbers apply to you? Jesus thought for a moment. I'm not a psychotic. I think I would know if I were psychotic. I'd have all sorts of symptoms. Hallucinations. Confusion. Do you know what the number one hallucination reported by psychotic patients is? Jesus thought for a moment. What? The devil! Oh, that's just unfair. Usually they report he's trying to tempt them to do self-destructive things. You know, like jumping off tall buildings. Remind me, what were we doing earlier today? You set that up to confuse me. And you mentioned confusion. Tell me, where are we right now? An exceedingly high mountain. Which one exactly? Because the tallest mountain in Israel is a bit under 4,000 feet. That's hardly see all the kingdoms of the world height. Are you even sure what country we're in right now? And, uh, last time I checked, I'm almost certain the world was a sphere. So what particular mountain do you think we're on that allows us to see all the kingdoms of the world? Uh, well, there are no kingdoms in the Western Hemisphere at this point in history. Wrong! Zapotex and Mochica. You don't know where you are. You don't know how you got here. And you don't know how you're seeing what you're seeing. You took me here. I assume you used some sort of devil magic or something. I didn't watch where we were going. Oh, please. Outside view. In general, when someone says the only reason they don't know what country they're in is because the devil is magically clouding their mind, does that make them more or less likely to be mentally ill? (laughs) So let's recap. You believe yourself to be Jesus. You admit that you have been seeing the devil and that he commands you to jump off buildings, a command you resist only with great difficulty. You don't know where you are or how you got there, and your only weak explanation is that malevolent demons magically transported you there and meddled with your mind so that you don't remember it. Using the outside view, what is the probability that you are even remotely sane? Look, could you just tell me what the temptation is already? Satan waved his hand and a syringe materialized within it. Five milligrams haloperidol, I am. Jesus looked at the devil. He looked at the syringe. He looked at all the kingdoms of the world. He looked back at the devil. His brow furrowed in thought. He looked at the syringe again. Then his eyes shone as the Holy Spirit flowed through him. His indecision vanished. Your lies have no power over me, demon! Please calm down, said Satan. Only now he spoke with the voice of a middle-aged woman. We're just trying to help you, Mr. Anderson. Please just hold still and let me give you your medication. Get thee behind me, Satan! shouted the Christ. And the Christ pushed the devil off the mountain. Satan screamed as he plummeted, screamed with a woman's voice until he vanished from sight in the depths below. Thank you for listening.
This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Today's music is the Star Wars theme by John Williams. Thank you for listening. Come back in two weeks for the study of Anglophysics, part one. <laughs>